Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. Luke 14, 16 through 24, it'll be on there or you can follow along in your phone or your Bible. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell all the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant, re- <laughs> the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, as April was mentioning, today is the final conclusion of our rhythm series. So I guess we're going to lose rhythm here after, uh, after today. And you'll all just be clapping off beat. Um, that's my world that I live in. Uh, but this morning is uh, our, our finish to this series as we've been looking at various rhythms and routines and habits and what it means to be a Christ follower. What are ways that we uh, create practices that help us discover Jesus? And so over the course of the summer, right, we're, we're talking about worshiping or prayer or Bible study. Last week, we talked about serving. And last week, if you were here, we, we had... Uh, these little bookmarks where you could join a serve team or you could become what we call a serve champion. Um, if you filled one of those out, you could drop those off. If you didn't, uh, you could pick one up in uh, the devotional booklet that April was talking about. But it's just implementing these things into our lives. Not every day. You don't have to do all 12 every day, okay? That would be a busy day. But it's about finding rhythms where I'm going to Sabbath at this time or I'm going to carve out some time for prayer or carve out some time where I'm going to start uh, serving or giving or praying or worshiping, whatever it is. And today we're concluding with this rhythm that we are to be people who testify. Now, when I say testify, what comes to mind? Courtroom, right? Courtroom is the immediate thing that I think of as well, right? I picture law and order or any kind of uh, TV show drama, law drama that you would watch and you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Hey, yes, I do. I testify, right? And, and what are they testifying about? Their knowledge, their experience, something they witnessed firsthand, and they are brought up to be able to legitimize a case in that scenario. As we talk about testifying this morning, it is understanding that Christians need to develop this rhythm of sharing their firsthand experience of Jesus. Our job is not to keep those stories locked up within ourselves. Those are stories that need to be shared. We need to be people who testify. And just like in a courtroom, uh, witnesses can be crucial to a legal matter. I believe that we, uh, we have an impact on the kingdom of God and the population of heaven could be dependent upon us sharing our stories. Think about that. We have eternal impact. When we share our story, it spreads the truth. It spreads the gospel with people. It shows that Jesus is real. 
and tangible and moving, and we worship a living God. And that can sometimes be the thing that solidifies somebody's case for Christ, somebody's belief in Jesus, is just seeing that that faith that you have is real, and it's changed you. So we need to be people who are testifying, witnessing, evangelizing. And those words, I don't know about you, if you're an extrovert or you love seeing that, you know, you're wired like an evangelist, you're excited about this morning. Evangelism. Yes, testify, testify. Can I get a witness, right? And you think of those Pentecostal days and those examples. But for some of us, we hear this topic and we're like, all right, thanks. I'll do the prayer. I'll serve quietly behind the scenes, but you want me to testify. And that can feel daunting and overwhelming to somebody. And I want to shift our focus for a a moment that testifying isn't quite the extroverted, outrageous expression that we might stereotype. Testifying can be somewhat simple. It can be, and this, this morning I want to shift that word from testify to simply inviting. Can we develop a rhythm of inviting? Because as we see in this parable, Jesus shows us a way to testify about our faith is to invite people in. Inviting people in to do what? Meet Jesus. Testifying and witnessing and evangelizing is simply, I'm inviting you in to meet Jesus. I want you to meet this guy. He's changed my life. Can we be people who invite others to Jesus? Developing that rhythm, right? It's a little less Make me, uh, make me uncomfortable, right? Evangelizing, I'm like, tense up, okay, I gotta get, right? And it brings me flashbacks to, to times where evangelism was not my way, right? But inviting, I can invite. I can invite, and I can invite people to Jesus, and, and the two ways I wanna talk about inviting people are, are this, inviting people to church and inviting people into your story. As we invite people to Jesus, can we be people who invite people to church and invite people into our stories? Those are the two focuses that we're gonna have as we look at this parable that April read. Now, we look at this parable that Jesus gave. A parable is a story that has a deeper meaning, right? It's not, it didn't literally happen. There wasn't a feast that Jesus was talking about that we all missed. What he is giving is this story with a deeper meaning behind the scenes, and it's talking about the importance of inviting people. And as we look at this this morning, I want us to, Think of that parable and think of ourselves as the servant told to go and invite. Because the master of the feast is who? It's God, right? We aren't throwing the party. We are invited into the party and we are part of the invitation process. God's throwing a party and he wants people there. Look at the beginning of this parable. It says, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent out a servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. God is throwing a party and he wants you there. You ever think of time with God as a party? No, we think of God as like solemn and emotionless and just, and it's a discipline and it's about obedience and yet heaven, God is saying, I'm throwing a party. Who wants to go, right? And how many of you love to throw parties? A few of you. How many of you like attending parties? A few more hands, right? I love throwing parties. Super Bowl parties, birthday parties, end of the year parties, any kind of party. Can I throw a party? I love having parties. And, and I love doing that. And when you throw a good party, you've put in the time and the effort and the work to, to think through everything, right? You went full Joanna Gaines on this party. 
what do you need to do? Invite people. Because a party by yourself is not much of a party. It's just you hanging out. And so what do we do? We text, we call, we send out messages on social media, we have conversations. Hey, what are you doing this Sunday? Are you watching the game? Yeah, come on over. I'm gonna have some people over. We're gonna have a football party or a barbecue party or a garden party or a birthday party or just a Sunday party. Let's just have a party, right? Let's just, but God is throwing a feast and he wants us there. And think for a moment, what is the feast? Jesus is talking about this banquet and there's a deeper meaning. What is the feast? We might look at this parable and immediately think, the feast is church. I gotta invite people to church. Sunday morning is the feast. And I wanna tweak that a moment because I don't think Jesus is inviting or telling this parable to say, go to church. He's inviting them to a feast of a changed life, of a whole holistic relationship with the creator, the wholeness of life, the love of Jesus. That's the feast. When God creates this feast, it's, it's about being a part of a community, being a part of his love and his wholeness and his fullness and experiencing that. The gospel is the feast, right? Because Jesus didn't say, I came to bring church to the fullest. What did he say? I came to bring life to the fullest. He didn't die on the cross so that we would fill up the temple. He died on the cross, raised from the dead, defeated the power of sin and death so that you and I would be restored in a relationship with the creator. That's the feast. That's what Jesus came to create and, and, and the party that God is hosting and he wants everyone to know that they can be a part of it, right? Doesn't matter who they are, they are welcomed into that party, that meal. That's what we are inviting people into. We're inviting them to a meal to say, guess what, at this party, we want you to know that Jesus loves you, that Jesus restores you, that Jesus forgives you, that Jesus wants to spend eternity with you. That's the feast. That's the party. You are a child of God when you are at this party. And that has so much more to do than Sunday morning church. And Jesus says, this is what we're inviting people into, so you need to go, right? What is the instruction he gives to the servant? He says, go, in verse 21 and 23. Go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you can find to come so that the house will be full. Go all the way out to Edison, right? The country lanes. No, not one laugh on that one, right? No, some of you may be from Edison. Sorry, I didn't mean to offend but we're looking at this lens of invitation and this idea and what Jesus is saying is go invite people. It's not supposed to be intimidating because we're not looking to convince and to argue and to debate people and prove them wrong. What are we trying to do? We're trying to welcome them into a feast of saying, Jesus loves you right where you're at. Jesus loves you because he created you. That's what you're inviting them into. You're not inviting them into rightness and correctness and the doctrine statements. And Jesus is telling us one way to expand the kingdom of God is simply to invite people into it. We're all called to invite somebody. And the reality is, is that not everybody's gonna accept that invitation, correct? People are gonna say no. People are gonna reject the invitation. Verse 18, 
Jesus in the parable says, but they began making excuses. And we, as April read that, you saw all different kinds of excuses, right? I got oxen, I'm getting married, I've got plans I have to make, right? Uh, we are busy people, we've got excuses. We know that people are gonna say no. You're gonna invite them to the feast of Jesus and they are going to say, mm, that's not for me. And yet, we know that that's the reality and that is, for many of us, the thing that stops us. We don't wanna be rejected. But we know it's going to happen. We know that somebody's not gonna say yes. And so we take it personally and Jesus, I think, is saying this to say, servant, don't take it personally. People are gonna say no to this. But keep asking, keep going. Go down this road, go down this alley, go to this house, go to this part of the community. Go, go, go. And, and don't take it personally that somebody says, nah, that's not for me. No, I'm not ready for that. We don't know their story and where they're at in their journey. Maybe they're not hungry. Maybe they're not at a point where they feel hungry yet, spiritually hungry. Maybe they're not ready to be a part of that. Maybe they're preoccupied with other things at this season of their life. But Jesus doesn't say, simply because they say no, stop asking people. What does he say? Pester them till they say yes? You giggle, but no, he doesn't say that. What does he say? Then go find the hungry. Go find the hungry, right? Go find them behind the bushes and in the alleys and in the crevices and the corners. And, and, and I think it's so easy for us when we talk about inviting people to Jesus. We're like, yeah, but they said no, so I guess mm, people don't want to come to church. They don't want to come be with Jesus and all this. There are hungry people. It's a reminder to me as I read this parable that there are thousands of people in Skagit County. Burlington alone has roughly 10,000 people. 60,000 people come through Burlington on a given week, or every day, excuse me. 60,000 people will drive through our city on a given day. That's a lot of people. And I'm gonna guess that out of those thousands and thousands of people, they don't all go to church and feast. Because if they did, our churches would be massive. So what it tells me is that there's a lot of people saying no, but there's a lot of people that are hungry that aren't getting invited to the party. Skagit County is filled with people who are hungry for Jesus. They just maybe wouldn't say it like that. What are they hungry for? Belonging, acceptance, hope. They're in a time that's desperate and they are hoping for something. Thousands of people in our county that are aching for freedom from their addictions. A sense of belonging and being a part of a community where people care for them and don't judge them. They're hungry for that. People are hungry for a, for a fresh start from their past. Thousands of people in Skagit County. I bet you there's a few that are hungry to let go of their past and move forward with their lives. To not let guilt and shame and remorse define them anymore. People are hungry to find truth in the midst of their confusion. And I think reading Jesus' parable this morning reminds us that people will say no. And for whatever reason, they're not hungry right now. But there's a whole bunch of people out there that are very hungry. Go find them. And you don't have to prove it. You don't have to debate. You don't have to argue. All they're looking for is an invitation in. Testifying is simply about inviting them into the party, and Jesus' table is big enough for everyone. Isn't that beautiful? His table is big enough. You ever run out of room at your parties? 
April has to tell me to stop inviting people. Like, honey, our living room is only so big. Our couches only hold so many people. And I'm like, yeah, but they could squish. They could put, you know, we've got to get more in the Super Bowl party, right? And Jesus' table is big enough. It's big enough for everyone to be a part of it. And it's big enough for everyone from various backgrounds and various ethnicities, various experiences, the rich, the poor, the male, the female, the Jew, the Gentile. That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. Everyone is welcome to this party. Let's invite the healthy and the hurting. Let's invite the people that you would think aren't invited to this party. And he's showing us in this parable this importance of Christ followers developing a rhythm of inviting people in to meet Jesus. Because Jesus is the feast. Again, Sunday morning is not the feast, but inviting people to church can be a way that people can meet Jesus, isn't it? Right? Sunday morning, we meet with Jesus. That's part of what we're here to do, right? Not just listen to Sean. I hope that in the midst of my talking or in the midst of our singing, in the midst of our conversations, we see and hear and encounter Jesus. So church is an opportunity for us to invite people in and say, hey, why don't you come hang out? Why don't you come be with me? And church is such a great start for this. Inviting people to church is a great start to inviting people to meet with Jesus. Why? Because it's one of the easiest ways to do it because you don't have to do much talking. When they're like, but what about this and what about that and what about this? You know, they've got questions and you're like, I don't know any of the answers, but hey, I got a great pastor because he's really awesome, right? Because I know you all brag about me when you're in your circles, right? Come in, let's, let's go. No, it's less about having an answer to question but more about there's less pressure because all you're saying is would you come and just join me you want to come sit with me you want to come engage with this community that I love and I'm a part of and I I care about something keeps bringing you back right something does our coffee's good but it ain't that good what keeps bringing you back tell them that Tell them why you love being a part of this church community and invite them into that because I'm gonna guess that somebody that you're gonna cross paths with is looking and hungry for something that you have found here. And it's not just cool atmosphere, not good coffee, not nice lighting. It's that you've met with Jesus in some way. Jesus is doing something in your story And when you invite them into that, you're inviting them in to come meet Jesus with me. Can I introduce you? My kids are learning to do this right now, and their boldness is inspiring me because they're, like, fearless. Little little kids just, like, they take the cards. Maverick calls our little invite cards that we have. It just has the logo and the website and all this. He calls them little credit cards because they have a white stripe, and they look like a debit card or something. And he's like, I hand out the church debit cards. What are you talking about? Those little cards in the cafe by the tissues. I hand those out at school, the little credit cards. Oh, the invite cards. Yes, okay, I get it. And the next time you go see it, right, you'll see, like, oh, yeah, it kind of does look like a credit card, right? My daughter started inviting people to youth group because she's now a youth student, and she's really excited to invite her friends to, to church. And she came home, and she's like, I invited somebody to church. Did they say yes? No, they said no. But I'm still excited. And it encouraged me. Because as an adult, I sometimes get timid. And I hold back. I have unchurched friends. 
which I hope all of you do. If you don't have unchurched friends, make that mission critical. I have unchurched friends. They don't go to our church, but they know I go to church. They know I pastor a church. And it hit me recently, do they know they're invited to my church? Do they know that they're welcome here? They know that I spend my Sundays here. They know that I, this is what I do for a living and this is what God has called me to do and, and they know about the church, but do they know the church is for them? Or is it just, that's what Sean does. We see Sean at sports or at this fun function or at this birthday party. Do they know that they're welcome here? Kind of hit me because I, I haven't explicitly with all of my unchurched friends said, hey, if you're ever wanting to on a Sunday morning, you can come join us. We don't just do this for church people. We do this for everybody. And you're welcome to be here. Have I extended them the invitation or do I just assume that they know, well, Sean's a welcoming guy and I would be welcome there if I ever wanted to. And I think that's what I default to. Well, they know I'm a nice guy, and they know the church must be nice because I'm a nice guy, so they'll come if they ever feel comfortable. And I leave a lot to the assumption without ever really communicating the invitation to saying, hey, I want you to know you're welcome any Sunday morning. We'd love to see you. We'd love to be with you. If I believe everyone is welcome here, then I should be extending an invitation to them so that they know that they truly are welcome here. But what holds me back from that invitation? What if they ask me about the church? What do I say? What would you say if somebody asked you about your church? You invite them, hey, you ever wanna come to Hub City Church? I'm here for you, I'd love to join you, I'll sit with you, we'll get coffee together, we'll be together. I, I, I wanna make this a, a, a fun place for you to be, right? A great place, comfortable place for you to be. And then the question of, what if they ask me, well, tell me about your church. What would you say? Uh, how many of us have found ourselves in that awkward moment where you're like, brain, work faster. I don't know what about my church. Uh, it's a building. It's in Burlington. Where is it? Well, you know, we're, um, Highway 20 and Fairhaven. And you know the old building across the street? Ah, where is it? It's there. I just go there every Sunday. I don't know. And we get kind of caught off guard by that question. Well, tell me about your church. And then some of us, our default is to tell them what we're not. Well, we're not weird. <laughs> Great. I figured that because you're not weird. <laughs> right? Well, we're, we're, we're not too judgmental. Not too judgmental? We're not, we're not too political. We're not too uncomfortable. We're not too formal. We're not too snooty. What is that? What? We're not. We're not. We're not. How compelling is we're not? It, it's not. And I'll tell you this. From my experience, and you might have a different experience, but from my experience, the unchurched people in my life don't really care about my denominational doctrine statements. They don't really care about our bylaws and the way we make decisions, and they don't care about that sort of stuff. And some of us are so wrapped up in our heads, like, 
well, I think, what denomination are we? Well, uh, I think there's something about squares, and there's, there's a lot of them. How many are there? There's four. We're four square. Four square. Yes, we're a four square church. Well, what's a four square church? <sighs> I didn't expect the test. I wasn't ready. Uh, I think there's a cross, and then there's a bird, and a goblet, and you feel on edge. You feel like, I didn't expect the pop test, or pop quiz, right? People don't, they're not really looking for that. And they're not really looking for what you're against. They care about what you're for. What are you for? We are for creating an environment where everyone feels like they can belong. Where you can be yourself. We are for you finding a place where you don't have to have all the answers to your questions, but we believe in the one who does have the answers. And that is Jesus. We believe in a place and being a community of people where everyone knows that they're loved by Jesus. Don't we believe in that? I said it earlier, tell them why you love coming here. Not what we're against and not what our bylaws are. What do you love about your church? Tell them that. Tell them that, man, this is a place where I've learned to develop friendships with other believers. This is a place where I felt my talents were utilized. This is a place where I felt mobilized into my community to go love people well. This is a place where I felt accepted and I didn't have to put on a mask. But I would encourage you to be ready. The Bible talks about being prepared in and out of season. Be ready for that, as they might say in the business world, that elevator pitch. And it's not that you're scripted and rehearsed. That, that would be awkward, right? Tell me about your church. Hub City Church is a great place to feel Jesus. Hub City Church loves people. Like, that would just, that would not be, don't do that. Don't feel scripted. Don't be tied to that. But be prepared. And if nothing else, tell them what it means that our slogan statement is, we are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. We say it every week. Why? So that you'll get tattoos of it? So that it's ingrained in your brain? No, because this is a part of who we are. This is simple verbiage to be able to understand this is what our church is about. We're ordinary people following an extraordinary God, and we're doing that together. Tell them what that means in your own words. But be prepared. Inviting people to church. It's, I think, one of the simplest ways we can invite people to meet with Jesus. Again, it's not about growing the church. It's about inviting people in so they can have an encounter with the living God. And, I, and with that, that's not the end-all, be-all. But another way that we can um, invite people in is to invite them into our story. Your story is an important co component of the invitation. And why is it important? Why is your story important? It's because it shows that what you believe is real. It's not folklore. It's not Marvel comics. It's not just Sunday morning felt board stories. And what we mean by inviting them into your story, when you tell somebody your story, what are you doing? You're inviting them in. It's, it's the difference of keeping them on your front doorstep and letting them come into your living room. You're saying, come on into my living room. Come on into my home. Come on into my life and see the mess. See that, yeah, all my furniture doesn't match. See that I got dishes piled up and I've got dust. You're inviting them in. You're peeling back the curtain a bit and letting them see the real you. When you're inviting them into your story, you invite them into your life. 
Think about the early church as it was rapidly growing. And we see this in Acts chapter 2. And we've been reading parts of this scripture the whole summer. And we're talking about all these different rhythms in Acts chapter 2, right? And at the very end of that passage, it says this in verse 47. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Why is the church growing so rapidly back in Acts chapter 2? Jesus has ascended up into heaven, and the disciples have been worshiping together, meeting together, doing all this. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. The church is beginning to develop all of these rhythms that we talked about over the course of this series of worshiping and praying and giving and serving and doing all of these things. And now the fellowship, the church, is growing rapidly. Why? Let's think about that for a moment. Why is the church so infectious? Well, that's a bad word in our post-COVID times. Why is the church so explosive? Why is it something that people want to be a part of? Why? It's not their social media. It's not their cool environment on Sunday mornings with lighting and fog and the songs that they sing and the killer band. It's not the preaching of Peter. He was a fisherman. And he didn't take TED Talk instructions on how to lead a nice sermon. He just preached whatever the Holy Spirit inspired the guy. And he was blunt into the fact. I think they grew exponentially because the people in the community around the church saw that Jesus was transforming the people and their stories. Jesus was changing their stories. And people began to share and show their faith in new ways. They began to testify, inviting people into their story with their action and in their words to say, look at the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And when people saw that, they wanted more of Jesus. They wanted what the church had. It wasn't this gimmick and it wasn't this church growth strategy. It wasn't a cool attractional model. It was simply people in real life living out their faith, sharing their faith, and showing their faith. They were testifying in word and in action, right? They would boldly share their faith. This is how Jesus has changed me. They weren't ashamed of that. They weren't scared to say the name of Jesus. And they would talk about how Jesus has changed their story. And not only that, they would show it. It gave evidence to the transformation. People outside the church are seeing a change in this guy over here and this gal over here. There's something different. They're seeing and they're hearing stories of a change of a transformation. Looking over here and they see Bill, and Bill's no longer overwhelmed with worry and anxiety. Why? Because his peace is rooted in Jesus. And they're looking over here and they see Sharon, and man, Sharon's marriage was, it was not good. But something has changed in her marriage, and her life is dramatically changed. And they begin to ask, what's the difference in your marriage? And she begins to talk about how Jesus has restored this relationship. Oh, man, let's go talk to this guy over here. Oh, Joe, why do you, what, what is going on with you? Something different about you. He's like, I'm not bogged down with bitterness anymore, man. Why? Because I'm learning to quickly forgive. Where are you learning that? I'm learning that with other Jesus people. Because we're being taught to quickly forgive when we've been wronged. I'm not being consumed by anger anymore. I'm not being overwhelmed with greed because I'm learning to live generously. I'm not being defeated by this warped self-image because I'm being taught that my identity is I'm a child of God. 
They're not giving sermons with three points and a takeaway. What are they doing? They're just inviting people into their story. They're telling people this is what's going on. And it's because they're putting into practice these rhythms. You see, that passage in Acts 2.47, when it says the church was growing rapidly, comes right on the heels of this passage that we've been talking about all summer, about rhythms. And I believe that when we begin to incorporate these rhythms that we have talked about, and if you've missed any of them, go back, listen to them, take it in, begin to practice these things. Don't reject them or resist them. Begin to integrate them into your life because I believe this is the slow cooker, man. This is where the seasonings and the marinations and all of this takes place and the preparation when I'm praying and worshiping and giving and serving and Sabbathing and doing all these things, that's where my life changes. It's in those quiet times. It's in those Sabbaths. It's in that teaching time. It's in all of those rhythms that I develop that the transformation takes place so that when we go out into the work, workplace or the marketplace or the school or into our sports leagues or anything like that, people see the difference. We cannot take for granted the rhythms and habits and practices that we've been given an example of. We put those into practice so that they prepare us and they change our story. My story is being changed because I'm changing my rhythms, my identity, my peace, my outlook on today, my outlook on the future, my priorities. Those things are changing because of the times that I'm spending with Jesus where nobody else is around. And that is where I'm in the slow cooker. And God is just changing my heart, transforming me, softening me, adapting me. And then when I go out, I'm a different person. And I think that's what's happening in the early church. God is doing something good in this community of people. Then they go out and people are like, I want what you got, man. What's your secret? What's the difference? And they weren't afraid to say, this Jesus, it's this faith, it's this community of people. And they would share it, they would show it, they would testify, they would give witness to this is the difference of my experience. And people were like, I want more of that. I want to be a part of that. You're not talking about the religion that we grew up in. You're talking about something that's changing and transformational they had grown up in a religious culture, going to temple and learning the Torah and all of these things. But what the church was rapidly growing around was life change of the gospel, not religion. They tell their story. And your story is an example of how you've tasted and seen that the gospel is good. You've experienced it. It's funny that, and I'm, I'm right there with you, we have no problem testifying about how good of a TV show or a movie is that's entertained us, right? I have no problem. What are you watching? Oh, I wanna hear about it. Oh, let me tell you about what I'm watching. I'm binging, I'm done with. We wiped through that one really quick. We don't hes hesitate to testify about a product that's changed our life and made it more convenient or comfortable. Oh man, you gotta get this. Put this in your car. Put this in your kitchen. Put this in your house. It'll change your life. Why do we hesitate to tell other people about the Jesus that so radically transformed our lives? To share about how Jesus loves you and forgives you and restores you and makes you new. Man, oh man. 
it just when I when I think about it like that, it just motivates me that what am I afraid of? I have, I really don't have much to be afraid of. People are going to say no. There's a lot of people aching and hungry to hear about it. So in telling your story, I want to give you three simple things, three simple tips for sharing your story, all right? Because I know for some, you're like, where do I start? How far back do I go? How much information do I give, right? How much of my story are we giving them? Am I giving them the, you know, unabridged novel, the, the history of, of, you know, here's the book on Sean, right? Well, three simple tips, some ABCs for you, all right? And these are very practical, very simple, but in thinking about, okay, I'm going to be inviting people into my story, here's some simple tips. One is it's about you. <laughs> You're telling somebody your story. Not, hey, I read this in a book one time. What you're doing is telling them this is the difference that Jesus has made in my story, my life. One, it personalizes it, and two, it makes it really hard to argue, <laughs> right? If you tell them about another story, you tell them about something you read in your Bible, people are like, nah, I don't know if I believe that. But you're like, nah, here's my story, Really hard to argue with that. This is the difference in my life. B, or the second point, B, is to keep it brief. Keep it to the point, right? People aren't gonna give you a ton of time. They don't wanna sit for 30 minutes and hear every little minutiae detail about the decisions that you made and didn't make and all of that. But to just keep it simple, keep it to the point, and have it ready to share in that consolidated manner. Keep it brief. And C, to keep it Christ-centered. Three simple tips, right? It's about you, it's brief, and it's Christ-centered. Jesus is the hero of your story. And as much as we want to be the hero, I'm not somebody's savior, am I? So I want to point them to the one who is. So make it Christ-centered. Make it about Jesus. Share with your friends. Share with the people in your church. Write it down. Write it again, right? Make it so it just, it, it's a part of you. It, it comes out naturally, again, where you're not caught off guard of like, well, why do you believe in this church stuff? You have your story ready to share. You aren't grasping, well, back when I was seven, I saw a felt board story to VBS. And let me catch you up for the next decades of my journey. You're just ready to say, man, this is one way Jesus has changed my life. And it could be your salvation story, it could be a healing story, it could be a provision story, it could be a restoration story, a forgiveness story, it could be all kinds of different stories and facets because you've got many stories and many moments where Jesus has been real. But what we are doing, and as we bring it back to the parable that we started with, we are people who bring an invitation to eat. And when you bring your story, you aren't just bringing them a card and saying, go to this feast, what are you doing? You're bringing them a sample, saying, you wanna taste it? You wanna see that it's good? because I've tasted it, and this changed my life. Taste and see, right? Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When we go and invite people into meeting with Jesus, we're inviting them to taste and see that Jesus' love is good. Invite them to church. Invite them into your story. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.